Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. Good morning. You want to have a seat? We're going to get back into Genesis. If you watched that little video, which you're all busy talking, so you probably didn't see the video, but we're almost to the end of the road, right? There's this banner over here. We're almost done, Genesis. And um, I thought it would be helpful just to kind of reflect on uh, where we've been in the book of Genesis real quick. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, really, really good, right? And, and um, everything about it was good. There was no sin. And the best part of all is that Adam and Eve could be in the presence of the Lord and, and he would come and visit them. And um, since that time, Genesis 3 comes in, uh, sin came into the world, separated us from him. Uh, that symbolically, the angel was placed uh, to, in the, to the entrance of the Garden of Eden and, and um, they were not able to access the garden. And that's kind of been uh, the state of the world as we've been going through the book of Genesis uh, we continue to walk in rebellion over and over again. God finally uh, has enough of the rebellion, and, and, but there's one family uh, who is righteous and who looks to God, and he uh, puts, an, uh, puts them in an ark, and the judgment comes on the earth, and, and sin is destroyed. But we see afterwards uh, Noah sins, and, and there's still this sin problem that's there. And so we go back to Genesis 3.15 and we understand there needs to be one who will come who will destroy Satan. And then, you know, the, the things start getting worse again. There's this uh, scattering all over the earth. And then we can to Genesis 12. And what will, what will happen then? And, and God says, this will be the people through whom I will bless all the world. And, and so there's this signal given, okay, it's going to be through this family line that there will be one who will come and crush Satan. And over the last, what are we, math, uh, 30 some chapters, 35 chapters or so uh, that we've been in, uh, we've seen this line of Abraham and how God is, is, has promised them a land, but yet they're not in the land. They've kind of been sojourning in the land, but it's someone else's. And, and now unexpectedly, they're, they're not even going to be in that land anymore. God's going to put them in a different place. But, but it wasn't unexpected because God hadn't told them. God actually told them in Genesis 15, listen, there's that point where you, where you will be put into another nation, but it's there that you will multiply greatly. And, um, you know, at one point I was like, should we be doing Exodus right after Genesis? And now I'm so excited that we are because it's like, okay, we're gonna, we, we need to continue this. Because, because what we're going to see is that this is all now culminating together where this, this people, while they're there, are going to multiply greatly. So just some quick math figures. 215 years they were in the land of Canaan. Okay, 215 years. As they entered the land of Canaan, as we seen last week, about 70 men coming in. By the time, 430 years from now, as they're leaving Egypt and then they're in the wilderness, Numbers 1 tells us that as they'd done the census, there were 600,000 men. I mean, I think the be fruitful and multiply thing is actually, you know, 
It took place then, right? 215, 70 people, not so much. Now in the land of Egypt, God is going to be uh, causing them to multiply. It will cause them to be also put, in, put under, uh, into servanthood as a result of that. But again, that's not unexpected to the Lord. But as they enter into the land of Egypt, they again will be sojourning. And, and, I, and I, what I want us to see is that every, like, it's easy for us to see now, like, like we look back on it like, oh yeah, like that 215 years here, 430 years there. It's easy for us to say, right? But like all through it, God's at work. He's achieving his purposes. He's achieving his plans. And they will get to the promised land, but in his timing. And I've been thinking about the fact that as we, as we, as we study the text this morning, we're still sojourners. Like you and I are sojourners today. Do you, do you, do you think of yourself that way? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you live your life that way? This isn't home. Like we're just, we're just here temporarily, but then we get to go home. We've actually been, I don't know if you've noticed, but every song we've been singing this morning is focusing you on that fact. Well, one day, one day we'll be home, but we're not there yet. Now, 1 Peter 2 9 through 12 reminds us of this fact. But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All these terms, interestingly, also used of the nation of Israel, uh, but now for you and I as believers. Why have we been set apart? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We, we have this opportunity now to be a people set apart to proclaim his excellencies. He said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he says this, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is who we are. This is our identity in Christ. We are sojourners and exiles. What are we to do? To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now God had a particular, has a particular purpose for you and I as believers while we're here as sojourners. When you get saved, you don't get a instant access into the promised land, right? You, you stay here. Why? Because God has work for you to do. But he's given us a plan for how this should all work while we're here. And, I, and what I love about this text we're going to read in Genesis this week, there's a lot of parallels to what God calls us to do today as sojourners. So before we get into it, let me pray for us, and then we're going to study together. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the reminder today that, Lord, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. We've seen it over and over again in the book of Genesis. Um, God, you have not changed. You are always the same. And then, Lord, as we see the way that you're going to preserve and protect your people while they're in Egypt, we are mindful of the fact that, Lord, you are preserving and protecting us as sojourners even today, that you have a plan, that you, that you have given us a, a way to live and so, God, we pray as we study today, would you find us to have submissive hearts? God, would you help us to understand these things through the power of your Holy Spirit? We can't claim any wisdom on our own. God, we need you. We need you to help us. And Lord, as we leave here, we pray that we not just be hearers of the word, but we pray that we would be 
doers of the word. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everyone needs a Bible. You don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Ushers will be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. Uh, we want to look at the Word together. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 46 through uh, verse 28 through the end of 47. If you're in small groups, you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought we were going to the end of 48. We were until about Tuesday. And now we're going to the end of 47. But we will do 48 and 49 next week, okay? So uh, if you're trying to keep track of where we're going, that's, that's what's happening. So... Redemption, you are sojourners. So as such, how does God preserve us in a foreign land? How does God preserve us in a foreign land? How did he preserve Israel? How, will he, how does he preserve us? Well, the first, we need to do, the first thing we need to do is understand God's plan. We need to understand God's plan. Uh, what I love is we, as we read these chapters, as we, God is very much behind everything that Joseph is doing. We, we've seen that. In, in the way that uh, he worked with his brothers and, and God used all these different circumstances to draw out the hearts of the brothers. Now we see God, uh, this plan for his people that will ultimately uh, help them to be protected in this land. It will, it will help them to be preserved as a people in this land. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you, you understand one of the major problems that the nation of Israel had once they got out of Egypt is that they continually were inclined to intermarry, to take on the culture that they were uh, in the land that they were, with, amongst the people, sorry, that they were. And, and, and what we're going to see is God is providing a way that that cannot, well, sorry, to, to, uh, providing a way to prevent that now. Through this plan. So he, Jacob, verse 28, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. All right, so uh, just to note a couple of things here. First, Judah, he clearly is the leader of the 11 brothers who were with Jacob. And, 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 and we've seen God turning his heart with the, with the sin with Tamar and how he was confronted with that sin. And, and ever since that time, we've seen him on a very different trajectory in regards to his life. And what I love about God in his grace and his mercy towards us is he's the guy that was responsible for Joseph and Jacob no longer being together. And now God in his grace, he's using Judah to bring Jacob and Joseph together. Isn't that sweet? I mean, God doesn't have to do these things, but he does these things because he is a God of grace and mercy. And, and, and they're going into Goshen first. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. Again, a pretty powerful guy. He normally would have people do this for him, but he is so excited about getting, the, getting to see his father, he hitches up the wagon himself, right? He gets the chariot ready. He's, he, he cannot wait to go see his father, whom he has not seen in 22 years. And now, as he gets there, he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I think Joseph, as we kind of place things together, I think Joseph anticipated that this day would come. 
He had been given the dream 22 years earlier about his father bowing down to him as well, right? Father and mother. He, he knew that at some point he would get to see his dad again. There, there was times, I'm sure, he's like, really? For, will, will this really happen? Right? Like times of doubt like you and I might have, right? But Jacob, he, not, he didn't think this day was ever happening. Like ever. He, 22 years ago, his son died as far as he was concerned. And so you can only imagine the joy that they had in this reunion, this unexpected reunion for Jacob. And so they weep, but not tears of, tears of sorrow, tears of joy. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Like 22 years earlier, he said what? I'm going to die, and I will enter the, the grave in sorrow, in despair because my son is no longer with me. And now he's saying, I can die in peace, with joy, knowing that you are still alive, my son. Right? Like what a different trajectory. Now, I find it a little interesting, this little side note. It seemed like Isaac and Jacob, they just continually thought they were going to die. Okay? Isaac thought that he was going to die, and it was like decades later he does die. Jacob, 22 years earlier, he's talking about death. Now he's still alive 22 years later. He's not going to die for another 17 years, okay? So clearly these guys didn't have God's time clock right in front of them, right? Okay? But, but, but what a change of life for him. He thought it was going to be sorrow, but now life. And Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay, again, we, we see God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Joseph is a diplomat. He's been around Pharaoh for a long time now, and he knows how this all needs to work. And so he is using his diplomacy. He's coaching his brothers. Why? Because they need to be coached. They're not used to coming in before Pharaoh, and he's not sure what they're going to say. So he's like, let me tell you what to say, right? He's trying to assure that this plan will work, right? He's trusting the Lord, but he's also using diplomacy. And that there's a good lesson for each one of us, right? Like we trust the Lord, but then we do everything that God has enables us to do, right? And, and, and so he's got this plan, and, and, and he's telling them, listen, tell him that shepherding is the family business. Tell the truth. I'm gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna tell them that you brought all the animals. They know they're gonna be there for a while. Genesis 15, you're gonna be there hundreds of years. They know that this is gonna be home for, for their lifetime. And so they have brought everything with them. But you're, you're to say that you are shepherds. Why? Because it actually is detestable to the Egyptians. No commentator I came across had any idea as to why. Okay? They just, it just is. When we get into Exodus, they're going to like, hey, can we, can we worship our God and serve him and, and make sacrifice to him? 
And, and, and Moses' whole thing will be, and I know we need to do that somewhere else because it's detestable to you. So there's something, they just don't like sheep. I don't know, okay? But, but, but listen, look what God is doing on all of this. He is putting them at the fringe of Egyptian culture. He is separating them and placing them in a spot where they will not be inundated by Egyptian culture. God is, God is they, like, another way to look at this, he's placing them in an ark once again, right? He's protecting them from the influence of those around them. And this is where they will be fruitful and multiply. They are to be set apart. As I already mentioned, they, they, they wrestle with this for their entire history. But in this particular case, God is using this place, Goshen, which, by the way, which is super interesting, when we get to Exodus, there is no better place to exit Egypt than from Goshen. Okay, so again, like, it's like, almost like God is sovereign or something, and all-powerful, and all-knowing, and like so good, right? So, so he, he is separating his people as sojourners. Hmm, is there any application for you and I as sojourners? Let us think about that. Are we to be set apart from our world? Yeah, 100%. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified and then raised again from the dead, he was praying for his disciples, for people like you and I. And he says in John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. God knows that we need protection from the influence of the world. Our, our, our flesh, as we already read in 1 Peter 2, our flesh, we, we would naturally feed the flesh. And he's saying you must abstain from the passions of the flesh and you need to be set apart from the people. We're not to be conformed to this, the pattern of this world, but rather to be set apart. We, we, we ought to be, in a, in a sense, we ought to be detestable we ought to be like, we don't get you in the way that we live our lives, right? But we, we ought to be set apart in such a way that people are like, they're just different. Where are they from, right? Like we, we naturally do that with cultures, right? I mean, they eat with their hands. They, you know, I don't know. You think about all the different things. They kiss each other every time they see one another. They, you know, whatever. Like we're like, oh, where are they from? So it ought to be for believers who are, are, are sojourners in this world. We ought to live in such a way, not that you're just weird, but that you reflect a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. That we're living according to what God's word says, which means what? You're going to have different desires. You're going to have different hopes, different dreams. You're not going to hold on to the things of this world like other people will. You're going to look differently. And so it should be. We need to be set apart as the people of God. And I, I just wonder this morning, as you think about your own life, are you set apart from the culture? Or are you adopting the culture that we live in? Do you act in such a way that you must be from a different place? Do they see that you are a sojourner, a sojourner in this world? This is the way that God protects us. Not by us inundating ourselves with the world, but by being set apart. 
This is how he preserves us as a people. This is where it's so frustrating when, when churches start saying, eh, you know, that verse isn't so important. Let's, you know what? We found, we did a poll, and there's a lot of unbelievers don't agree with us. Uh, yeah. They're unbelievers. And what you'll find is, if you try to compromise, we were just learning this in, in, in some elders training yesterday, if you try to compromise and come halfway thinking, oh, they'll come the rest of the way, they're going to say what? No, no, you just keep coming. You come our way. We're not coming your way. You come our way. And so we must stand and that let the Lord do the changing. He, he can do that. You're here this morning. Amen. You were at once, one time lost and without hope, but now you're here. And so let us be protected in the way that the Lord wants us to be protected by being set apart. Know his plan that way. Uh, secondly, we need to accomplish God's purposes. It's not, it's not just about what he's set us aside uh, from. It is, is to, to, to be a proactive as well. So we need to accomplish God's purposes. This is how he preserves us in a foreign land. Uh, chapter 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. Just kind of planting a seed there. You remember that place, Goshen, right? Okay, just want you to remember that. That's where they're at. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Uh, We don't know who these five men were, but what? They were the five best guys according to Joseph, you can be guaranteed, right? He's not, he's not choosing the guy that's going to fly off the handle. He's choosing the five best brothers to present before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? Okay, he's prepared them well. This is exactly what he, uh, they, that Pharaoh would say. And they said to Pharaoh, <clears throat> excuse me, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. Note the humility they're showing here. Servants, they're going to say, call themselves servants over and over again. And then he, he, he's clear. We, we do something that's detestable to you as Egyptians, right? And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Okay, they kind of pushed it a little bit there. They weren't supposed to say that part. The last sentence, you know, let us dwell in Goshen. But they kind of get caught up in a little bit. But God is good. He's gracious, right? And, and, and he's, his plans will not be thwarted. And so now we find Pharaoh has heard their request. Does he talk to them anymore? No, he does not talk to them. He turns to Joseph. And Pharaoh is a very, very big fan of Joseph, he, he has everything that he has because of Joseph. He's seen Joseph be trustworthy over and over and over again. He's been faithful. And so he now turns to him and says this, verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any men among them, put them in, in charge of my livestock. And sorry, no, any able men among them, right? So he's saying, listen, Joseph, you have permission to do whatever you want. And, and it seems like Goshen's the best place to send them, so let's send them to Goshen. Now, what kind of land is it? 
Uh, it says that it starts with a B. Is it? It's the best land. And I love how when God gives gifts, He doesn't give junk, right? He gives good stuff. And He said, "I'm, I'm going to. Not only are you are you being taken out of a place of death, Canaan, where where there's famine, but I'm going to put you in the best land." And then unexpectedly, He's like, "I got some cattle." And if you know of any of the brothers there that are good at this, then I want them to be in charge of my cattle. Well, why is he entrusting more stuff to Joseph? Because everything he entrusts to Joseph just gets blessed, right? So if they're with you and you, you, you vouch for them that they're good, then I want my cattle to be with them as well. And so we just see this blessing that, that God is giving them. It reminds us of what? Genesis 12, the original Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you. And we're going to see Pharaoh's about to get his socks blessed right off here, okay? I mean, he's going to have so much by it's all said and done. But, but he, God blesses who? God blesses those who bless Israel, and, and we're going to see that. We begins in verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I mean, what? Pharaoh, this godlike man in, in all, all of Egypt, one of the, the, the most powerful men in all the world, and old Jacob comes on in, right? And he's, he's got a bit of a limp probably, right? He's, he's, he's had some tough days. And... and but he's the one doing the blessing. I mean, let's be honest. I don't know. Do you got a person that you think is kind of cool, whatever, powerful person, famous person, like whatever? We probably all have someone that we're kind of like, oh, it'd be kind of cool. But you come before that person, what would your normal thing be? Would you act normal? We'd be like, hey, you know, just like, Hey, Kev, how's it going? Like, just like you would with, with somebody you normally hang out with, or, or it'd be like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. I, that's not the picture here, is it? He, he's coming in, and, and he's like, I'm in charge. Like that's kind of how, why is he not intimidated by this guy? Because he knows God. He knows the Lord God. He's already, he literally wrestled with him, Right? Jacob has a unique story, but he knows the Lord God. He's already met the one who is powerful, who is God, not, not God-like. He is God. And so he's not intimidated by this meeting. And because he knows the one who is the most powerful, he's coming in a position where he's in a position to bless. And so he blesses them. We don't know exactly what he says. A kidner says this, Jacob was sovereign old age personified, unimpressed by rank, diffuse, and deliberate. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. This is not what Pharaoh expects from him. Egyptian literature shows us that like a ripe old age for an Egyptian was 110 years old. 110 years old. 
So he's like, how, how old are you? Okay, like he, he was like, how old are you? you know, and he's like, oh, I'm just 130. My life has been hard. You know, my granddaddy, he, he, he lived to 175. And my daddy, he lived to 180, right? Like that, that was their years. I'm not going to make it that far. Few and evil are my days. We, we've been reading all about him. He's had a rough life. Some of it he brought on himself, right, through deception and, and, and living the life that he did. He had a dysfunctional family he grew up in, and then he was sinned against, and, and it's been a hard life. And, and so there's this, he's, he's, this has been my story. Just a few days, only 130, to which I'm sure Pharaoh was like, only 130? Like, who is this God that you guys all serve? Like, this is just another opportunity for Pharaoh to be in awe of Yahweh. And then it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. He blesses him a second time and then he leaves. I just love his boldness. He's not impacted by, by the people that he's meeting here. This again, you know, he's not seeking his blessing because he already has what? God's blessing. So he is able to then pour out blessing. What, what a picture for you and I in our time of sojourning. Like, the world has nothing for us. No one in this world has anything for you. We know the one who created this world. We know the, we know the Savior. We, we get to come before the throne of God. What would the world offer you and I? We have eternity in heaven waiting so, as we encounter people around us, we don't have a mission of like, okay, what can you do for me? You know, I got I to gotta hobnob with the people and, and see if I can get them to, you know, give me this or give me that and get a raise and get it. I mean, like be a faithful employee or whatever. Like, that's great. But we don't live for this world. Instead, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says this. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Like, like just have this ingrained in your minds as we leave this place. Where are you going? Well, you're being led in triumphal procession by God through Christ. And as you go, and through us, what's he doing? As we leave this place, and through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Everywhere. You, you, ever, you ever smell incense? You, have we got anyone? <laughs> okay. Like, like, uh, like being in Nepal, you, like, you feel like it's still in your nostrils like a month later. Okay. It just, it just spreads everywhere, this fragrance, okay? Picture that now for you as believers. As you go, everywhere that you go, you're spreading this fragrance of Christ. And he says this, for, for we the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to life, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Like, clearly, he's already told us, not you. But God is leading you through Christ and he's working through you to be this fragrance of Christ everywhere that you go. 
And we have this opportunity to be bold. Why? Because we don't care what people think. Like we're not trying to get anything from people. We, we just only care what our king thinks. And, and, and we've been sent on this mission to spread the word about Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. This fragrance that what? Brings life. That brings life. As we, as we go from here, let us have that expectation that as we are faithful to him, that God is going to save people around us. And we know that not everybody will. We know that many will reject Christ as we speak of him. But for them, then it's death. But we have this joy as those who don't live here to go about and spread this fragrance of Christ. Like What a beautiful picture, isn't it? And this is the way that the Lord preserves us, by us doing his work. Thirdly, we see that we also receive God's provision. We receive God's provision. Verse 11, then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. I mean, it's really quite incredible when we think about the stark contrast we're about to read about where there's, they're going to lose everything. They are now gaining. They're getting land. They're getting food. And God is providing every single thing that they need. And this is what God does for you as sojourners. He has given you everything that you need to be preserved as the people of God in this world. He's given us this, the word of God. And Jesus uses this analogy that this is more important than food. More important than food. He's providing for them and their food when we need to eat as well. But this is what we need to eat. If we are to survive as the people of God, we must be men and women of the word of God. What a precious thing God has given us. That we might read this book, that we might study this book, that we might know him through this book. It's just incredible. Like I hope you... like. Anybody seen Genesis in a whole new way as we studied it for like the last year and a half? I mean, he's it, like, every week I'm astounded, right? Again this week, I'm like, okay, what are you going to say about this? And I'm just like, I can get to today, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's amazing. I can't say it all. Like, that's, that's how rich this book is. And if you are to be preserved as the people of God and not go astray and, and get lost in this world, then you must be people of the book. And the other thing that God gives us to help preserve us and in, in providing for us is this. It's the body of Christ. So many things are said about how God uses the body of Christ in our lives. The, the, the body is given to equip you. So you might be ready to do the work of the ministry that God has given you. The body of Christ is to, to be used to spur you on and encourage you and help you. The, the body of Christ is used so that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we, in the Bible, in Hebrews 10, encourages us that, to gather together all the more as we see the day approaching. These are provisions that God has given us. Let us not take them for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I love the Bible. We have 27 of them. But are you reading them? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we go to a church, like, as often as possible so that you might be helped, provided for. These are the gifts God gives us as sojourners. 
So you see this incredible provision that God is giving to them. Secondly, how does God protect us in a foreign land? Well, he gives us the hope of his help. He gives us the hope of his help. Verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by the reason of the famine. Canaan is continually being brought up to remind us if God had not saved his people out of Canaan, it would not have gone well for them. And so again, we have this picture of Goshen being used as this ark to protect his people, to, to care for his people. And Joseph gathered up all the, the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Again, we're starting to see some of the blessing that uh, Pharaoh was receiving. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Again, just a reminder, as the brothers come, we know that there was five more years of famine. So they buy food as long as they have money. We don't know what year that ran out, but then now they're out of money. And now they're giving up their livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And then when that year ended... They came to him and, and, and the following year and said to him, We will not hide from the Lord, my Lord, that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we, with our land, will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. My brother-in-law here, this is a little saying, nothing for nothing. Nothing for nothing. We really see this here, don't we? If they want food, they must give something. In the beginning, they're able to use money. When that runs out, then they give livestock. When that gives out, they give land. And when that gives out, they give themselves. It reminds us of what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It is a biblical principle that God has from the beginning of the foundation that, that if we are to have, then we must work. And so there's a whole lot more I would love to talk about with that. But I'm not going to. We can talk after service because we are barely going to finish as is. Okay. So what we see here is this blessing being transferred all to Pharaoh. The one who had blessed Israel now is richly blessed. And God is reminding the people of Israel about how he protected them. They have just experienced, the regional audience, right? The regional audience in the wilderness has just experienced God's protection when he brought the plagues on Egypt, right? 
They never impacted Goshen. They were protected there, and God brought them out in a supernatural way. And now as they receive this word from Moses, they're also reminded that even in the earliest days, God had protected them and provided for them. He is their ever-present help in times of trouble. And so it is for you and I today. God is always with us. And we need to remember that. And not, not get caught up in all the headlines of this world. Oh, what's happening in the Middle East? What's happening in Ukraine? What's happening? Like every, like, like listen, the, the, the headlines, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're never positive. Okay? There's so much sorrow and pain in this world. And, and we pray for these situations. That, that ought to be your responsibility as believers. But then get your eyes back on him. Don't, don't be fixated on the problems, but fixated on him and saying, God, you're my help. I'm your kid. Which brings us to our next point. He gives us the hope of his heritage. You being his child sets you apart from everything else that's going on in this world. Do you understand that? That the plight of those who are his enemies is not the same as the plight of his who are his children. There's all kinds of promises for you who are his kids that the world does not have. It's interesting, verse 22, only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Okay, who, who is prospering in Egypt at this time? Pharaoh, clearly. Okay, Then who is provided for? Israel, who is Joseph's blood relatives. And then the priests, whom, who are related to him through marriage. Right? These are the ones who are cared for in this situation. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. I think clearly at this point, year five is done now, but there's still no food. So if there's going to be food, seed has to be put in the ground, and they're given seed to plant. And at the harvest you shall give a fist to Pharaoh, and four fists shall be your own as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. All right? This is the deal. You're going to farm on crown land. We're going to give you the seed, and as a result of that, you owe us 20% of everything you get. But guess what? 80% is for you to care for yourselves. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Uh, If you again, historically, if you looked at the nations around, this is very benevolent by Joseph. The, the, the other, other rulers, Mesopotamia, they would take 40%. Um, there's examples of also of 60% in the world at that time given to the government. Okay, so they notice that no one is complaining about this. They, they see how, how great a leader he has been. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied Greatly. I mean, what, what a contrast here. Egypt gave up everything to this benevolent leader. Meanwhile, what's happening to Israel? 
They are multiplying greatly. They're fruitful. As I mentioned at the beginning, they're going from like a small, insignificant people, and they're going to grow greatly. And when they continue to grow greatly, all of a sudden Egypt's going to turn on them and they're going to say, hey, if we don't do something with these guys, then they're going to attack, another nation's going to attack, they're going to join them and we're all going to be in trouble. And they've long since forgotten Joseph by this point. But guess what? Did that stop them from multiplying and growing? No, it didn't. So when God promises he's going to do something, he does it in good times and in bad times. God's plan is always forefront. Walton says this, astonishingly, the time in Egypt is not an interruption of the covenant, but an incubation of the covenant people, right? Where he's not hitting pause, okay, okay, you, you guys are going to be gone for 430 years, at least they'll give me a break, I don't have to worry about you as a people, and then we'll have to deal with you again. That's not what's happening here, right? He is very much over every single circumstance here, just as he is in your life today. God is over every single circumstance in your life. Do you believe that? How quick we are to complain and grumble about the things that happen in our lives. But Romans 8.28 reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that good that God is accomplishing is Christ-likeness that you would be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God is doing through all the circumstances in your life, both the really good days and the really hard days. And I know that no one here likes to hear this, but it is reality. God tends to use the hard days to a greater impact on your life than the good days. But in it all, he is good. And we need to remember that. One of the most misquoted verses in the church, Jeremiah 29, 11, still proves out our point. God had judged Israel because they continued to walk in rebellion again and again and again. They were not walking in his ways. And was God judging them good for them? Yes, it was good for them. Those who, who needed to perish, perish. But it caused some to turn and repent. This is what they needed. They needed to turn and repent. But as, he, as they're going away, this is what Jeremiah says to them. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. However, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Even this I'm using to give you a hope and a future. This is what God does in our own individual lives as sojourners. God is using these things in your life to make you more like this is your heritage. This is your heritage. So don't lose perspective on that as you go through difficult times. Instead, embrace it. Say, God, I know you're good. And you will use this for good, and I will trust you. I'm so thankful that he knows exactly what is going on in each of your lives today. I love how Hughes puts it. He says this, As God's children, we become subjects of his persistent prosperity as he brings calamity and well-being to affect the prosperity of our souls. Notice he brings both. 
Everything we endure and enjoy, all our relationships, all our honors, all our defects, all our serendipities, all our disappointments, all our gains and losses are all meant for our ultimate prosperity. Well, I don't know that you ever thought you'd hear that at a redemption church. (laughs) Prosperity. But what are we meaning by that? Bunch of stuff that's here today and gone tomorrow? No, something so much better. He's making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. He's drawing us close to him. In everything that we experience, the good and the bad. I love how after Romans 8.28, he just says, hey, if he is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is, it doesn't matter who's against you because you got God on your side. And then he ends that chapter by saying that nothing and no one shall ever separate you from his love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, it's all good. In this life, as sojourners, he is always with us. Remember your heritage. Your life is not the same as your neighbor's who does not know the Lord. You have a different destination, which brings us to our last point. He gives us the hope of his home. He gives us the hope of his home. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Like, only God gets to write this story, right? For 17 years, Jacob raised Joseph. And now for 17 years, Joseph got to care for his father, Jacob. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt But let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. He answered, and I will, and and Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. He said, I don't want to be associated with the riches of Egypt. I want to be associated with the promise that God has made to my people, Israel. I want to be buried in the promised land as an act of faith. This is why he's doing it. He's not like, oh, like, you know, okay, so then when, when I rise someday, then I'll actually get to be with the guys. I mean, they, he knows that once he's done, he's done, right? This is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. And he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed upon the head of his bed. What he's saying there is that he worshiped. He worshiped the Lord. His days are coming to completion. We're going to see the end of his life next week. But, he, but he's, he's, he's at the finish line. And he's ready to go home. He, he, he's, he's ready to enter the promised land. I, I love what Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16 says. These all died in faith. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I pray that every single one of us can say, that's my mindset. 
That's who I am. I am happy to be called a stranger, a sojourner, an exile on this earth because I, do, I desire a better country. I desire a heavenly one, a city that is being built by him. Is that your perspective here today? Do you have one eye on your final home? Are, are you, do you spend any time thinking about it? What will it be like to be in his presence? Where there'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more death, just him. Getting back to Eden, where it is good, it's really good. We will worship him forever. Like that is, listen, believer, that's your final destination. Remember that. Live accordingly in this world. This is the plan that God gave for Israel while they were sojourning in Egypt, and this is the plan that he's given to you and I. And so understand God's plan, accomplish God's purposes, receive God's provision, Remember the hope of his help, the hope of his heritage, and the hope of his home. Amen. We pray. Lord, we love you. There's so much more that we could talk about here this morning. But God, we, we thank you for the things that you have shown us and taught us today. God, so easily can we be distracted here on this earth, getting caught up in the things of this world as if this was our home. But it's not. And God, we're so thankful for that, that it's not. That, that our home that is coming is going to be so much better. We will be in your presence for all of eternity. There's nothing better than that. And so God, help us to live in this time under your instruction, following your ways. Lord, that you might be brought honor and glory. Lord, we pray that as we go out, that, Lord, we would be that fragrance of Christ everywhere that we go. That even this week, Lord, you would use that fragrance, to, that, that message of the gospel to, to bring about life in the lost around us. God, we know that you can. Lord, help us to be bold as Jacob was before Pharaoh. Help us to be loving and kind to those around us. Lord, you've already given us all that we ever need. Lord, help us to be a blessing to this world, primarily through them coming to faith in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.